0: Okay, all right, enough of that. Mark chapter five, verse one. Would you stand with me as we read God's word together? They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this passage and what a powerful story it is. We We pray that you would open our hearts to help us understand your power and your authority over all things in this world. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Today is Halloween. And so I thought it would be interesting. In fact, to be fair, the staff mentioned to me some weeks ago in staff meeting on Halloween, you should preach on this topic. And so we're going to look at what the Bible has to say about ghosts demons and zombies. Ghosts, demons, and zombies. There's a lot of misinformation out there in our world about all of those things, and I'm sorry I don't have enough time to really get into vampires, werewolves, and those sorts of things. We'll just take the big three here. Nearly half of Americans believe in ghosts. And By the way, I got these statistics on the internet so you know they're true. Nearly half of Americans believe in ghosts. 20% believe that they have had an encounter with a ghost. 45% of Americans believe demons exist. Women are much more likely to believe in ghosts and demons than men. Interestingly, 13% of Americans believe that vampires exist, which is absurd, uh, but they believe that. About four in 10, 43% of US adults say they think ghosts can come back and haunt people or places. To many people, the zombies are already here. Listen to this. Nearly half of the US population, 45%, believes that our politicians are the closest things we have to zombies right now. (laughs) 30% of Americans believe reality TV stars are the closest thing to zombies, followed by investment bankers, 17%, and CEOs of Fortune 500 companies, 14%. After a few seasons of watching The Walking Dead, people aren't afraid of them either. That is, zombies. Forty percent of respondents said that that if there was a zombie apocalypse, they would pick up a weapon and fight back, overshadowing those who would board up their homes and wait it out. Only 12% said that or hide in a shelter, 9%. If anybody could clear up a zombie apocalypse, it seems it would be vampires. 43% of Americans believe vampires would beat zombies in a war, while only 18% thought zombies would be the victors. Really? That's what we are thinking about? One out of, listen to this, it's very important, one out of five Americans, 19%, said that if they became a zombie, their first meal would be their local congressman or congresswoman. (laughs) A far more appetizing choice than their ex-spouse, who got only 9%, or their boss, who got 5%. And so, apparently, not only do we think zombies are real, we're making plans? Goodness. Okay, I want to talk to you today about ghosts, demons, and zombies, and we're actually going to talk about zombies first, because it won't take long to get that out of the way, because, well, there aren't any. By the way, again, this is, as as the preachers say, this is my fact checker. And uh, if you wanna look into anything supernatural, this is the source on what is supernatural. If it's in here, I believe it. If it's not in here, I don't believe it, period. There is, however, an interesting passage in the Bible that has uh, some people would, would define this perhaps as zombies. This is as close as it gets. Interestingly enough, it's in Matthew chapter 27, verse 51. And so let's look there very quickly. Matthew 27, 51. This is at the moment that Jesus died on the cross. It says, at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And everybody remembers that the earth shook. That is, there was an earthquake and the rocks split the tombs broke open and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs and after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many people. Now, these aren't zombies per se because there's a big difference. zombies are the walking dead. These people were actually resurrected back to life. They were alive, but I can imagine to the people of the first century, they were probably pretty stunned to see these dead people that were long gone now walking the streets. Other than that, there's nothing. There's no zombies anywhere. They don't exist. They're not going to exist. I don't care what vaccine you've taken. There's not going to be any zombies, okay? You can rest assured and rest at easy at night. No zombies. Number two, we're going to look just briefly at ghosts. Ghosts are a little bit different. Over the past century, there have been hundreds of movies about ghosts. Can you tell me a movie that you've seen that had ghosts in it? Casper. Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters. One, two, and three. (laughs) The movie Ghosts. Ghosts. (laughs) What? what? Okay. (laughs) It's a kid's cartoon. Okay. Somebody over here. What? You slept through. I said you slept through. Oh, I slept through it. Yes, I probably <laughs> did. Well, it's a very fine movie, I'm sure. So, <laughs> learned my lesson. Anybody else? The, ghost or just a mirror? Uh, the ghosts just The ghost. this is you, you, None of you have mentioned the best ghost movie ever. There's, of course, Poltergeist, Ghostbusters, Beetlejuice, Casper, Scooby-Doo. A Christmas Carol had ghosts in it, uh, past, present, and future, Uh, Ghost Dad, Harry Potter, nobody mentioned that, The Blair Witch Project, The Haunting, The Nightmare Before Christmas, very fine claymation movie, creepy, but weird, Uh, The Ring, The Shining, the Amityville Horror, and my favorite and the best ghost movie ever, The Ghost and Mr. Chicken. Yeah. See, there aren't many that remember that movie. That was, it was uh, Don Knotts. Yeah, that's back when movies were movies. That's a classic. So now you have something to watch. Uh, not to mention many television shows as well, even reality shows such as Ghost Hunters, Ghost Adventures, Ghost Hunters International, Celebrity Ghost Stories, The Dead Files, Paranormal Parano- Witness, and many more. So if you Google... Uh, movies and TV shows about ghosts, you'll get lists of hundreds and hundreds of them. It's stunning Hollywood is obsessed with ghosts. The problem is that we tend to develop a false understanding about ghosts from cinema. And again, if you want to talk about anything supernatural here, or natural, here's your guide Um, for example, in 1990, somebody mentioned a while ago, Patrick Swayze starred in a movie called Ghost. Ghost. It was called Ghost. And as ghost movies go, that was, that was a dandy. In it, we see this false doctrine though, that good people go to heaven and bad people go to hell. And a part of that false doctrine, you go there immediately. The good people immediately are swept away to heaven. The bad people immediately are pulled into hell by demons. Uh, The truth is, as you know, good people do not go to heaven. Bad people do not go to hell. The Bible tells us that redeemed people go to heaven because there are no good people. We stopped being good the moment that sin entered our life. And so I don't know if good people go to heaven or not because there haven't been any. (laughs) <laughs> there are only forgiven, redeemed people and everybody else. But anyway, be that as it may, is a fine movie. Another uh, interesting theological moment is, uh, and this is classic Hollywood, that they teach that after we die, there's a brief time where we get to choose whether we're going to go to judgment or not. Watch this scene from, this is from... Uh, a ghost, and there's no audio. I'm gonna provide that for you. <laughs> okay, all right, he's dead. He's looking into the light. What's going on? He looks back. There's his body. Uh oh, that doesn't look right. How can I see my body? Oh, there's the light. There's heaven. That looks good. Oh, here comes the magic fairy dust. Yum, like skittles from heaven. <laughs> oh, that looks tempting. Here they come. Yum, yum, yum. More and more, I should head into the light. But he looks back and sees his girlfriend giving him CPR. I don't know. What should I do? The light? Stay? Go? Stay? I don't know. I don't know. I get to choose. I get to, I think I'll go back. Oh, there goes the door. It's too late. It's shut. Well, oh my goodness. Oh, don't forget to run toward your girlfriend. Does he do that? Yeah, it's gone. I don't know what you're standing there for. There's no need to run back to your girlfriend. You're dead. So... (laughs) Nothing like bad theology to get a passer going, but. <laughs> By the way, you do get to choose. Before you die, not after you die. The moment you take your last breath, that choice is taken from you. So you don't get to pick. God's not an idiot. It, like he, he's on vacation or he's not looking. And while he's not looking, you can go into the light or not. It's really up to you. Not up to you. By the way, you don't go to the light or Uh, to hell. Did you know that? You go before the judgment through the seat of Christ. You go to judgment, and at judgment, there's going to be reading from a book, and they're going to look for your name. We'll go to that in just a minute. If it's in there, you're going to heaven. If it's not, you won't. So, just, just a word about that. In Matthew chapter 14, by the way, these are the only instances that we see ghosts in the Bible, or hear about ghosts specifically. Of course, other than the Holy Ghost, we get to see that a lot in the Bible. But in Matthew 14, the disciples are sitting in the boat in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. Do you remember that? Jesus came walking to them on the water, and immediately the disciples thought what? Must be a ghost. Apparently they're ghost theologians. Maybe they had watched some movies. I don't know where they got that, but it was not a ghost, but they were terrified because they thought Jesus was a ghost. It's not the only time they were terrified because they thought he was a ghost because in Luke chapter 24, Jesus appeared to them after the resurrection. And what did they do? They immediately thought that he was a ghost and he had to say to them, no, come and touch me. I'm not a ghost. Of course, then there was that doubting Thomas who refused to believe that he was physically resurrected until he touched the wounds in his hands and in his side, which Jesus allowed him to do. But the only instance of an actual, they thought it was a ghost. He was a ghost both times and they were wrong both times. The actual instance of a ghost in the Bible took place in, in, excuse me, 1 Samuel chapter 28. So we're going to look at that briefly. 1 Samuel chapter 28, the woman said, by the way, before, oh, get off of that, go back. I'm sorry, go to the title page because they're going to read that. Just too tempting. Okay, here's the backstory real quick. This is uh, uh, Saul. Saul is about to die because he's been bad. He's disobeyed God. I mean, really disobeyed God. And so God has withdrawn his hand from Saul and his blessings have been withdrawn from Saul. Saul is fully aware of it. This is the end for him, and he is desperate. He tries to get God's attention. He tries to reconnect with God, and God isn't having any of it. So in a moment of desperation, he goes to a witch at a town called Endor, and to the witch he says, hey, I need to talk to somebody. He disguises himself, she doesn't know it's him yet. She's gonna find out and freak out when she finds out it's Saul. But Saul says, I need to talk to somebody. I'm sure he paid her. And so she goes to, to conjure up the spirit of Samuel because Saul wants to talk to the prophet Samuel. The problem is the prophet Samuel's dad. He's already died. So he wants to have a conversation with Samuel. I can't explain this, no theologian can, we don't understand this, except to say that God in this one instance allowed her to bring Samuel's spirit up from the dead and Saul has a conversation with the ghost of Samuel. All right, go to the passage now. This is verse 13. The woman said, "'I see a spirit coming out of the ground.' "'What does he look like?' he asked." That's Saul. "'An old man wearing a robe is coming up,' she said. "'Then Saul knew it was Samuel, And he bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? I'm in great distress, Saul said. The Philistines are fighting against me, and God has turned away from me. He no longer answers me, either by prophets or by dreams. So I've called on you to tell me what to do. Samuel said, Why do you consult me now that the Lord has turned away from you and become your enemy? And so I don't have it, but the very next statements are: "You're going to die. You're going to be dead by this time tomorrow." Is actually what he says to him. You're you're a goner. By the way, if God withdraws His hand on you, it doesn't look good, because for those in the world, and I believe He does this once somebody hears the gospel of Jesus Christ. It it, it may be on a television program. It may be on the radio. It may be a neighbor. It may be a pastor a missionary or whoever it is, once they hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, they have a choice to accept it or reject it. And I believe that there are times in our life, having heard the gospel of Christ, God will allow situations in our life, bring us to a point where we're seriously thinking, you know, I should probably surrender my life to Christ. I should probably accept Christ. I should become a Christian. But if we reject God again and again and again, the Bible teaches that no one comes to God apart from the conviction of the Holy Spirit. So if the the Holy Spirit does not convict, we don't get saved. Now, we still have the choice, but we're going to choose the wrong choice because we only come to Christ through the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And so if God withdraws his hand from people because they are so evil and so vile, They're not going to make that decision because there's no conviction anymore. It does tell me that if God puts you under conviction, you better listen. Don't be thinking I can do that next week or next month or next year. There may not be a next week, next month, or next year. So uh, an interesting conversation, though, nonetheless. This is the only time, again, we have a biblical account of anything like this happening so I have good news for you today. If you feel you have a problem with ghosts haunting your house, call an exterminator because it's rats, it's not ghosts. <laughs> you don't need Ghostbusters because nowhere in the Bible do we have any indication that a ghost can possess an inanimate object. That applies to demons as well. We'll get to that in just a minute. So when you die, your ability to choose will be over. Now let's look at Demons. If, if it wasn't fun enough with zombies and ghosts, demons uh, are are even more interesting. There's actually a lot in the Bible about demons, particularly in the time of Christ and in the New Testament. And I believe that God allowed demons to do what they did because God allows everything that happens, God allows it because he's sovereign, because he wanted to demonstrate that Christ had authority and power over demons. Now, as you know, Ghosts are disembodied people. They used to be people. They died and now they're spirit. They're ghosts. Without our body, we are spirit. Demons were never people. Never existed as human beings ever. They've been demons for a very long time. Now, some people or most people will say that a demon is a cast out angel. Somebody used to be an angel, but they rebelled along with Satan and now they're demons and they serve Satan So they were never human beings, so they're different from ghosts in that sense. They're sometimes called evil spirits in the Bible. So if you see something that says an evil spirit, it's referring to a demon. Again, demons may be more popular in Hollywood even than ghosts because there are so, so many movies about demons and TV shows. But the Bible has numerous examples of demons, so we can get an idea of what demons are and what they can and cannot do. One of the best examples is found in Mark 5, our passage for today, when the Jesus went to the region of Gerizines. And so I'm going to read this passage to you, and then we're going to to look at or talk about just briefly um, what uh, demons can do and what they can't. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes, this is Mark 5.1. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. Which is interesting. Apparently nobody else came to scene. (laughs) It's pretty disappointing as a preacher when the only one that shows up is possessed. Anyway, but this demon-possessed guy goes to Jesus. I mean, you think he would turn around and go directly the other way, but he knew his time was up. His number was up because Jesus, the Son of God, had arrived. When, uh, so verse 3, The man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained and hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs, and in the hills he would cry out and cut himself with stones. So here we, we, we learn a couple of things. Number one, he had extraordinary strength. In fact, he had supernatural strength. Where Samson had supernatural strength that was provided by the Spirit of God, this man had supernatural strength that was provided by demons. No one could subdue him. I don't know if the Romans had been over there or not, but if they were, they weren't successful either. No one was able to, even though they were they managed to get uh, change on him, they could not uh, maintain that control because he broke his bonds time and time again. Secondly, <clears throat> Hollywood might give you the idea that you can make a deal with a demon. And I think that for people who open themselves to demon possession which did happen and probably still happens today. If you open your life and your heart to demon possession, I, I think that people who do that think that somehow this is appealing because it gives you supernatural strength. But I assure you, it is not appealing at all. This man is in torment. This demon doesn't like him. This is not a... a, 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 there, a there's a movie out called Venom. One and two. Have you seen Venom? I don't recommend that. It's about an alien who possesses a man, and they work together as a team. And I think that's what people think in this dark and evil world. I can be possessed by a demon, and it'll be the demon and me, and we'll we'll work together 50-50, and just have a good old time. It doesn't work that way. This man cut himself with stones he's torturing himself or the demon is forcing the man to torture himself. He is in torment. This is awful. There's never been a person in history that was possessed by a demon that later thought, man, am I glad I did that. That worked out so well. But that's the deception of Satan. Now look in the rest of our story, Mark chapter five, verse six. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to me, or or swear to God, that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. Now, several things important right there. First of all, Jesus did not do a bunch of hocus pocus on him. He didn't open some book or some scroll and start reading some incantation to begin the process of getting the demons out. He just immediately said, you're done, get out. Now, at this point, the demons want to bargain. They know they're they're done, they're out, they're they're about to be exorcised from this guy, they're on their way out of the demon, so they start trying to talk to Jesus. First thing, you need to notice this, Because demons are supernatural. There's only the natural world and the supernatural world. They're part of the supernatural world. And being in the supernatural world, even though they're evil, they know exactly who Jesus is. And they know that Jesus has power and authority over them. And he's got no use for them. So they come. The demon, by the way, this is not the guy. This is is the demons that are acting through him. The guy is just along for the ride. He has no control anymore. So the demons cause the guy to run to Jesus. They immediately fall on their knees and confess that he's Jesus, the son of God. Did you notice that? That's pretty good strategy. (laughs) Oddly enough, that's the basis of the gospel. It's too bad the only one that came and got on their knees and confessed him as the son of God happened to be a demon-possessed man. And so here he is pleading for his life. He says, what do you want to, with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Verse 9, then Jesus asked him, what is your name? Now, I, I personally think that Jesus already knew exactly who it was, but he wanted to hear from the man. My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. That is, we now know that people can be possessed by multiple demons simultaneously. Verse 10, and he begged Jesus again and again not to send him out of the, air, send them out of the area. Well, that's interesting, is it not? Apparently, uh, demons are—they uh, prefer certain ge- geographic areas. I can't answer that. I don't know. Why? But they didn't want to leave the area. Of course, they knew that if they left the area where Jesus was sending them is not where they want to go. Verse 11, a large herd of pigs was feeding on the hillside or nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission and the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Now, if you know anything about the Holy Land, it's actually the, from, from the, the Jordan River and the Sea of Galilee to the left. Sea of Galilee in the north, the Jordan River goes south to the Dead Sea. Everything to the left is the Holy Land. Everything to the right is a different land. Today it's Jordan, modern day Jordan. And so they were on the right, the, the east shore of the Sea of Galilee. And so there weren't Jews there. I don't know whoever these, these Gerizims were, they had pigs. And so they said to Jesus, which, by the way, because they pled with Jesus to send them in the pigs, it tells me that demons don't have authority just to do anything they want. They had to ask for permission to go into the pigs. Now, it was a bad plan (laughs) from the beginning. Demons aren't very good planners, apparently. They're in panic. And so they said, how about the pigs? And so Jesus said, all right, cast them in the pigs, and the pigs immediately died. Ran off the bank into the lake and drowned. Now, if you're struggling with demons today, I have good news for you. There are a few things that you need to know. The first is, and it's very good news, Christians can't be possessed. If you are a believer in Christ, you have surrendered your life to Christ, you cannot be possessed. No matter what, you can't be possessed because the spirit of the living God and the spirit of Satan cannot live in the same person. It can't. Now, you can be oppressed You can be tempted, but you cannot be possessed by an evil spirit. It is literally impossible. Number two, demons work for Satan and do his bidding. Demons work for Satan and they do his bidding. Jesus, however, has no use for them. You don't see any time in Scripture where Jesus thinks, well you know, it's a demon, but they have supernatural power and I, maybe I can use them for this or use them for that. No, he's got no use for demons at all, ever. Only Satan does. Number three, if you feel you're struggling with demons and you haven't surrendered your life to Christ, then the best way to get the devil out of your house is to invite Jesus into your house. The best way to get Satan out of you is not to go buy some book or to go to priest or anybody else and start some incantations and say some magic words. That's not how it works. I tell you how it works. If you want to get Satan out of you, come to Christ. Allow the Holy Spirit to infill you, and trust me, God will take care of it. He will remove him from your life immediately. I promise the devil will slip out the back door as fast as he can. if you surrender your life to Christ. Number four, Jesus alone has power over demons. Jesus alone has power over demons and everything else, by the way. But it's not through magic or sorcery. It is through authority. Jesus has authority over evil. He has authority over evil spirits. He's the source. And if you wanna have victory over evil in your life, Possessed, oppressed, or any other way you want to slice it, Jesus is the source to victory. Number five, because Jesus has complete over authority over evil spirits, listen to this, because Jesus has complete authority over evil spirits, followers of Christ also have authority over evil spirits. Because Jesus has authority... Followers of Jesus also have been given authority over evil spirits. I'll give you an example. Jesus sent out the 72. You know, he sent out the 12 disciples, but later on, he sent out 72. The disciples are part of the 72. Sent out a larger group to go and share the good news from town to town to town. In Luke chapter 10, verse 17, it tells us what happened when they came back. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority. Let me say that again. Jesus is speaking. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions, that's demons, and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Here's what he tells the 70. So first of all, the 72 come back. Oh, they got testimonies. I mean, hours of testimonies about sharing the good news uh, of the gospel in this town or in that town, and lives were changed, and and they met wonderful people and and were accepted, and, and they saw miracles happened, and people were healed, and they come back What is the first thing of all those things and all those hours of testimonies uh, of excitement they have, what is the first thing they say to Jesus? It's interesting. The very first thing they say is, wow, even the demons, uh, uh, we had authority even uh, over the demons. And so even the demons submit to us in your name. I don't know if they weren't expecting that or what, but they realized that through Christ, there was power for the believers in Christ. There was power over evil. In this world, people are powerless to Satan by the billions. And if Satan wants to beat them up, he beats them up. If he wants to oppress them, he oppresses them. If he wants to possess them, he possesses them, but not for Christians. Because we have been given power and authority because of Christ. Through Christ, we've been given power and authority over evil spirits. I find that encouraging, do you not? Now, I find that encouraging, do you not? All right, amen, that's good. Because this week, you're going to encounter evil. You are. And you need to know You are not the victim of those evil spirits. You are the victor. You have authority. Don't go around acting like this evil world has power over us. That's a lie. With that, what I find even most remarkable about this passage is the very last sentence. Did you catch that? Jesus said, however, in verse 20, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you. Rejoice that what? Your names are written in heaven. He said, you want to be happy? (laughs) It's great that you have power. I've given you power over evil and over evil spirits. Here's what really ought to make you happy. I've given you power over death because your names are written in heaven. Your destiny is heaven. Your eternity is heaven. Your hope is in heaven. Rejoice about that. You know, you know that. I preach that, every preacher preaches that, every congregation hears that, we talk about it over and over again. And I think over the years, for preachers and congregations alike, we just kinda lose the excitement of that reality. We're going to heaven. By the grace of God, because of the blood of Christ and his mercy in our life, we have been given power over death. I look forward to that. So today in Christ, don't just be happy. That you have the ability and the power to get through the weak and have victory over evil. Rejoice. Because the Bible says that there is a book in heaven. Now, it's, is it an analogy in Revelation? Yes. But there is a reference to a book. It's called the Lamb's Book of Life. And when you surrender your life to the Lordship of Jesus, your name is written in that book. And on that judgment day that I told you about a while ago, immediately, you don't go to judgment day and God goes, "Ah, should I let him in? Should I not? Should I let her come into heaven? Should I not? It's already decided. All that will happen at the judgment seat, when we find out what we deserve, the judgment is rendered, the book will be opened. If our name is in there, We are already forgiven and destined to heaven. If our name is not there, we go to judgment, which is justice. The Bible calls that hell. There's only two places, by the way. You go to heaven or you go to hell. Hell is a place of justice. For every sin that we committed, that's a place where we get what we deserve. Heaven is a place of mercy. Is your name in that book? Because Jesus mentions to them, you cast out demons? Outstanding. But here's what you ought to be happy about even more. Your name is in the book. May that be true for you today. Pray with me. Father, as we come to you, we want to begin by saying thank you. For those of us who, who are here, and we're, we are all unworthy, we're all sinners. We're all destined to judgment, every one of us. Simply a place where we get what we deserve. But we desire to be with our Savior. We desire to be with you in heaven. And for those who have surrendered to Christ, when we go to our day of judgment, and by his blood, our names have been written in your book. Our eternity is diverted from a place of judgment to a place of mercy. From a place of darkness and pain to a place of light and glory. Thank you for that mercy. Thank you that there is no sin that we've ever committed that you cannot blot out. There's no problem that we've ever had, no weakness, no temptation, no failure that we've ever had that you cannot redeem and redeem and cleanse us from because of your mercy. But your word tells us we have to come to you. We have to surrender, as Romans ten nine says, that we must confess with our mouth that Jesus is our Lord and believe in our heart that you raised him from the dead. If we'll do that, we will be saved. Father, if there are those here here this morning that are suffering, they think they may have a demon in them. I pray that right now your spirit would convict them and that they know that they can have that demon removed right here right now. No incantation needed. A surrender to a new savior, to a new lord. To Jesus Christ through repentance of our sins and accepting that free gift of salvation. So Father we pray today right now right here that if someone has evil in their hearts that it be removed in the name of Jesus. Father for others here who are believers they may be oppressed right now and they feel that oppression of Satan and of evil spirits constantly in their life. They're just going through a tough time and they're weighted down with it. Father, we pray right now in the name of Jesus that you would remove that evil, that temptation, that oppression, that you break those bonds and free us. Remind us that through Christ, we have authority over evil spirits and we claim that authority right now. As you're praying, no one's looking around. Can I challenge you? Have you been oppressed lately? Do you know someone that's really struggling with evil in their life, and you wanna come down and kneel and pray for them? Remember, you have power and authority. Use it in the name of Jesus. It could be you wanna give your life to Christ. You wanna come down this morning. We had somebody in the first service came down, Pastor, I wanna give my life to Jesus. Maybe God is calling you or your family to join with this fellowship and to serve the living God here in this place. Or you just want to come and kneel and pray. If God is leading right now, this is your opportunity. This is your time. Would you stand? No one's looking around. And as you pray, all heads are bowed, all eyes are closed. And as you pray, right now, you come.